G'day and welcome to Runners Radio. We're back for a deep dive at Coach's Corner. They're usually a combo, aren't they? This fella, he is an actual guru, the great man. He's a mindfulness and great greatness coach. He's now he's uh, he, one of his terms. He has helped so many people the last decade or so, but his life, um, I'm not sure there's too many out of the 7 billion walking around on this earth that's experienced some of the things this fella. Tommy Kendi, former rock star, now mindfulness greatness coach, Yogi, he does it all. Welcome, Tommy. Mate, honoured to be on, Rick. Honoured to be on, brother. It's uh, looking looking forward to having a chat with you, man. Really am. Yeah, pumped to – well, I've only known you a few months, but I know um, Shell, uh, my wife's known of you and, and known you for a long time as well with different fields. But, Jesus, mate, we did some yoga the other day. Tommy filmed some yoga for one of our runner's products for the for the corporates, and um, Tommy's very big in the corporate world now with helping those kind of – those kind of individuals and it was it was sublime mate he's he's got a gift and you, you're sharing your gift as we speak but um what what are we doing currently and then we'll go back chronologically great man to your childhood and we'll go from there yeah easy man so i mean look now i'm um yeah i'm, I'm sort of working in a few different areas i've got uh i've got a, a cool little yoga business called yogs where we go out to corporates and and teach like a really accessible yoga and mindfulness stuff and meditation um and that that's going really well it's a it's a a new way of looking at yoga where we've got a marquee and we do it all outdoors so you get to sort of experience the whole outdoor thing with yoga and it's it's really cool and, and corporates have re- really been loving that um and on the other side of things i'm um also a mindfulness coach which i do you know one-on-ones and and i also do do that in corporates as well in big groups so um, yeah, man, and, and I also teach a few yoga classes online and and in studios. So yeah, it's a, it's a bloody exciting life, I tell you what. It's a, it's a nice balance, and you you really have you got a lot of um, mottos and philosophies that really align with with myself and, and what we do. And we'll probably touch on that over the next fifty or so minutes, mate. Yeah. But it's um it's really powerful. Some of the stuff you say, some of the stuff you got a really good way of articulating it. So we'll go into that later, but. I just want to give the listeners a bit of a base from where you're at. Some of them might know you already, or they definitely would know your band, Duke Cartel. We'll get to that later. But tell us about where it all began for Tommy Kendi, a young Hungarian fella in the streets of Melbourne. Yeah, bro. Young. Uh, I, I, um, I was, yeah, I was born in, in Budapest, Hungary. And uh, I mean, you know, whatever happened there, I mean, you know, I had a pretty normal childhood, but I, um, I moved to, to Melbourne, Australia with mum and dad when I was like eight. And didn't know a word of English. So I sort of had to, it was the first time in my life I sort of had to find my feet. And, um, you know, had a, had, had a few little incidents where, you know, where it's just like trying to find yourself in a new country and couldn't speak a word of English. Just a, a little wog, mate, walking around the, uh, the streets of, of Melbourne and trying to find my way. But, um, but yeah, I mean, look, I'm sure it wasn't something you know a lot of people experience stuff like that when they're younger like racism and and shit like that and and so for me it was it was just a, a you know a, a really cool way of of coming to life and learning some lessons early on but I guess the um the the the, the biggest wake-up call for me was you know I was I was a pretty troublesome teenager and I got into the, I got into smoking dope and, and trying all that stuff when I was quite young, like, you know, 13, 14, and, and really sort of went down the wrong route back then. And, uh, you know, luckily I, uh, 
I OD'd when I was like 14 and a half or whatever. I OD'd before I even got laid. So I got a pretty big wake up call and that sort of, you know, messed me up for a good three or four years. I had full post-traumatic stress disorder from that experience and, and it was a, it was a really traumatic time for me, man. But it was, it was also good because I really, I really got to to understand and realize back at that early age that the only person that can really make a difference to my mindset and my life is is me, and no, and no one else is going to help me do that, you know. And and really, what that's that's where I sort of built my all my philosophies from is is I guess back from that early age where I realized that as soon as you try and look to the outside for people to fix everything within you it's it's like you're always going to come up against people not really understanding what it is that you're going through you know especially with anxiety and and um depression and and you know any sort of fear-based emotions it's it's really comes back to um to take an ownership and, and responsibility for for your own state and and your own emotions and and how how you choose to action life. That's that's really good and really powerful. So do you feel like that was in, inside of you or did you feel like, where, like obviously that was a pretty treacherous period and you can go into like that, that late teens period was quite quite harrowing for you. Yeah. Do you feel like at the time you were already discovering that or are you looking back on that stage? I'm, I'm looking back on that stage and, yeah. and just real like organically, I had to do some stuff that back then that um that that I, I do now in my you know life where I'm I'm being conscious and aware of the things things I do and the actions I take. But you know, back then absolutely I was totally unaware, totally unconscious. And and it was um yeah, it's more just like a, a looking back moment, but but realizing now the lessons that I got from that time, you know, and it was I mean it got to the point where um obviously I was still living at home as that little young buck. And mum would, you know, make dinner and it, my anxiety got so bad that when mum was bringing dinner out onto the table, I, uh, I actually thought mum was trying to poison me and put me back into that place of, of where I was with that drug overdose. And, and so things got pretty scary there for a while. Yeah. And look, you obviously, you're quite an intelligent guy, quite intuitive, but just teaching yourself day to day. And I can imagine how bad that would have been um when 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 anxiety and and things like that are at their absolute peak it's um it's a very 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 dark place and it's hard just to find your way out of it as well so um and i guess at that time like it was 20 20 years ago nearly um it's um or more more is it but yeah Yeah. so it's just hard so with with people go they they tear a hammy or they they do their shoulder they're happy to go to the physio um did you go and seek any help at all you just kind of worked your way through it with reading and other things no, I did. I, my parents took me to see a psychologist who didn't really do much. And then I got, I had to see a psychiatrist and they wanted to put me on all these pills and, and this and that. And, and it was really hard back then, man, because every time I saw a psychologist or a psychiatrist or whatever, I never felt understood. They didn't actually realize what I was going through. And, and what I was going through is, I literally thought I was going to die every day for over two years and, and no one understood me, you know, and, and no one understood my, my um, emotional pain. And, and it was, it was really tough because 
even my parents, no one understood what I was going through. And it was this constant fear of, of death and constant fear of, of dying, you know, because from, from that overdose, something opened up in me and I, I, the, the stuff that I saw really, really scared me. And I, I didn't realize there was this whole other world out there, like hallucinations and, and all that type of stuff. And that, that was the first time I was like, fuck, man, I don't have control here. Like I'm, there's something else outside of me that's like, you know, trying to get in and control me and stuff. So it was really, really, really tough. And, and so um, in the end, luckily, I, I, I didn't take any medication. I didn't do any of that. And it wasn't even a choice. It just sort of, I guess, organically led down that road where, um, where I just didn't, didn't need it and didn't want it. And, and so I just had to sort of sit in that pain of anxiety and fear and, uh, and, and get through it myself. Genuine post-traumatic stress um disorder that mate that is that is very full and and that's the thing like you you this is what we're saying to the listeners and the, the viewers it's very important that you continue to to be with it and and work through it in look you said straight off the bat that you realize that you can work through it you so you have to work through it yourself at times but uh, unfortunately it's hard out there sometimes when people, you feel like you're not understood it's not, it's not, it's not that easy, but people like yourself and, and other people now, there's a lot of people around that are doing some great things in this kind of field that can, that are saving lives every day. So um, there's always someone willing to listen. If you are listening to this and really, really struggling, I guess, take us through that, that period then when you're, you're year 12 or VCE and you obviously a real um, passion for music already developed, Tommy. Mm, yeah. So uh, that was, I mean, that was one of the, the things that sort of saved me was, was music because, um, you know, back then, as I was going through this uh, post-traumatic stuff, back then is was when I sort of started taking music a little bit more serious and I started playing guitar and then I started playing bass and then got into a band and, you know, we started playing gigs and then, you know, that got all exciting and then, you know, we'd play gigs and, and 50 people turned into 100 people, 100 people turned into 500, 500 turned into 1,000, 1,000 people turned into 10,000. We're just like... Fuck. And then before we knew it, we were playing stadiums all around the world, you know. Right, oh, no, hang on, hang on. You just jumped a shit. <laughs> You've just jumped a long way ahead, Lidge. Right here. Okay, so you love the guitar, love the bass, love Yeah, music. and it was, yes, and, and, you know, music became one of those things that, that really, I, I guess, saved me. I had a lot of interest and music gave me a feeling that felt safe within. It gave me this feeling of of being creative, of, 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 um, feeling something that, you know, like when, when I listened to other artists' music, I felt, it's almost like I felt the energy behind the songs. What, and, was, some, what was some of your influences? Uh, definitely Red Hot, Red Hot Chili Peppers. At that young age, yep. Young age, yeah. I mean, anything that had any sort of funky or jazzy or, you know, upbeat, funky type of stuff. That was that was my jam, you know. And then, you know, also bands like Pearl Jam and, um, you know, Stone Temple Pilots, all those guys back then who uh, really allowed me to, I guess, take take hold of my instrument, which was a bass guitar. And all I do day in, day out is just listen to tunes and, and learn learn how to play the bass along to them. And, you know, even with music, 
it was not was I mean school I was never good at school I know you said I was I was intelligent before but I'm definitely not a smart dude man I'm I'm definitely life smart but in terms of school smarts man I'm probably the the bottom of the barrel because I never did well at school ever and I just I, I somehow got through year 12 I don't even know how but uh but but yeah so um but definitely music was one of those things where I never learned music like even now after touring the world God knows how many times playing music. I, if you put a chart of music in front of me, it would look like Chinese. I wouldn't know what to do with it. And so music was for, for me was, was learnt pretty much the same way as life where I just dived in and just sort of fluffed my way through and found the notes and learned songs and then, and then started, you know, going, wow, if I, if I can listen to tunes and that my fingers are doing that and plays that, then maybe I can start writing my own tunes and play different notes and, and mess around on the, the fretboard with that. So music to me was also a, a vehicle of total creativity. That's phenomenal. Um, and geniuses say that, um, Tommy, about, about, about the, not, honestly, about the ones yeah. you've not been able to read uh, if you put the, the book of music in front of you. Um, so there's certainly something about that and it's it doesn't necessarily have to align with being quote unquote book smart either brother um all right so was now the band that started in southeastern melbourne um was that the initial was that the was that duke cartel that went worldwide yeah that was i mean we started as a band called taco which yep. was uh we were just basically a, a you know a two-bit cover band playing around the uh the dog and piss around melbourne yep. and then uh and then yeah as soon as we started playing uh our own music that that got a little bit of interest and then um you know we we're playing some some great original gigs around melbourne like at the sb and whatever and then there was a uh a, a touring agency that was bringing out nickelback and they heard about us and we got to support nickelback around australia and uh and so we did the rod late we did rod labor arena and we did a couple of other shows with them and that was just epic. And then once, and that was just when the band, that by then we were Duke Cartel. Yep. Um, and then that was when the band sort of started to, to really get noticed. And uh, and just at the same time, our singer, Toby, uh, he auditioned for this reality TV show in the US called Rockstar Supernova. And he got into the show. And then we were, like the rest of the band was just like, oh, Tobes, what the fuck are you doing? Like we just finished, you know, supporting Nickelback and things are moving and now you're pissing off to LA and doing a bloody reality TV show. So we were all pretty bummed out and pretty pissed off. But um, but in hindsight, it was probably the best thing that could have happened to us because Toby did really well on that TV show and he was um, he was always the type of guy that he wanted to, you know, keep the band together. So after he, he came third on that TV show and obviously got a bunch of um, followers and a, a bunch of, um, and, and heaps of notoriety in, in the U S and he brought us out. So we, we got on the first plane after we finished the TV show, jumped on a plane and went straight to LA, straight to Hollywood. And within two nights, we're hanging out with guys like Tommy Lee and Slash and, you know, Arrowsmith and all that. We're like, what the hell is going on here? And uh, and yeah, we signed record deals, and then then it was off from there. We started got into a you know got into the um, 
got into the studio, wrote an album, released the album, and just started touring off the back of the album. Jesus Christ. Notice how I told, I told the listeners about not many people have walked in your shoes. That's there, phenomenal. So you, yeah. you, look, you've been you, from southeast to Melbourne. Obviously, you've done the, the national tour, um, from, sorry, leading out for Nickelback and the like, yeah. but then you just go up, wham, bam, thank you, man. Two days in Hollywood and you're partying with Slash, Tommy Lee and the like of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there was, this, there was this really cool moment where um, – I was, our manager was uh, also working with Slash and um, and there was this really cool moment. I think we were in LA for maybe six, seven months or something, but um, we ended up, uh, I ended up becoming sort of really, well, me and my manager were really close and then I ended up, there was one day where no one could pick Slash up from the airport, from Burbank Airport. And my manager called me and said, hey, can you pick Slash up? I'm like, um, yep. So I got in my car, go to Burbank Airport, which is just in LA, and uh, and 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 pick up Slash comes out. He just sits in my front seat. I'm like, what the fuck? And, you know, we just had a really awesome chat, like, you know, hour and a half drive home. And it was just me and Slash just shooting the shit. And then from that day on, we sort of um, – you know, we all got really buddy-buddy with Slash and we're sort of going to barbecues and stuff at his house every weekend. And, you know, you'd, you'd go in his house and one moment Paris Hilton would be walking in, next moment Robbie Williams would be over the road and it's just like, what is going on, you know? What's he, what's uh, he like as a bloke, Tommy? Oh, mate, he's, a, he's, he's unbelievable. He's a type of guy where he's actually, he is an actual genius, you know, where... It'd be like um, we'd be at his place. He's got such a beautiful family, like great kids, you know, wife and whatever. Back then they were still together, him and Perla. And uh, he'd have like, you know, 20, 30 people over. We'd all be drinking, carry on and whatever. And then, you know, halfway through the night, everyone's like, where's Slash? And then Slash would be in his room, just headphones on, playing guitar, you know, and, uh, and just or in the studio. So he... He was a genuine, a very masterful genius when it came to music. He absolutely loved it and really owned his craft, really worked at it. Yeah, well, uh, high performers in any field. And he, you, th- you talk about high performers and we've never really had a, um, a world-class musician like yourself on a show like this, mate, so it's a privilege. But, <laughs> oh, but the, the Slash, he's the best of the best. Like, yeah. like You think of guitar and you think of him and um, he is an actual guru and stories like that we just love. So... Um, all right. So, how long you 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 there? Did you have many dreams and aspirations, or were you just kind of flying by the seat of your pants? And then, how did it develop music? Some music highlights while you're over there, buddy. And yeah. and I guess it, how did it all flow through? Well, look, I mean that we were the, we lived in like the heart of Hollywood pretty much for six years, and through that six years, we were sometimes we were touring, sometimes we were home. But I reckon I, I experienced some of the toughest points in my life living over there because, you know, even though we'd go do a tour and we'd be, you know, playing stadiums and, and whatever else, we'd, we'd go do the tour for like two, three months, come home and we'd have, you know, from the outside, it looked like we were killing it, but it was tough, man. Like financially, we'd get home and I'd go to the supermarket, you know, with, uh, with the boys, we'd buy stuff for the house and just to eat. And it'd come to like 80 bucks or a hundred bucks. And I'd, 
I'd have to take stuff back. Like I literally wouldn't have 80 bucks in my bank account, you know, and it was, it was really tough, man. And, and then there was also like six of us living in like a, a three bedroom apartment. And it was just, there was just a lot going on. And, you know, we weren't young bucks. Like I was already 30 or something when, when we were going through this uh, living in LA and, and whatever. So, you know, all my mates back home were getting married, buying houses, having kids and here's me, you know, living off an oily rag in the heart of LA, but still, man, and, and it was in terms of experiences and, and what I got to do and all the fun stuff too, man, like, you know, obviously being being an Aussie over there and having an Australian accent, being in a band and, and having the circle of friends that we had, it was definitely a uh, an, an easy, easy way to live for a bloke, I'll tell you that. I can imagine you're, um, you would have done some genuine damage after dark. I can imagine that. Oh, mate. It was uh, plenty of that going on. But, um, but you know, even with that, after a while, that becomes a bit empty and boring and, and whatever else. So, you know, I feel like I've, I've had enough fun in my lifetime for a couple of lifetimes. Yeah. And it was, it was almost um, inevitable that over the, on the other side of that, I'd, I'd come out and and I, I always had this passion for wanting to help people. I've always been a really emotional and very sensitive, like I've always been very sensitive to what's around me. And, um, and, and so it was one of those moments where I sort of came back and I was like, all right, what the fuck am I going to do now? You know, like I was, I, and, and I did, I came back to Melbourne with, with my tail between my legs. Like I had no idea what I was going to do. Um, I landed back home and Melbourne just seemed like a country town compared to where we were. And I came back and I was like, same thing, dude. Mum gave me a hundred bucks for Christmas. I came back at the end of 2012, um, at, at Christmas at the end of 2012. And, uh, and, and mum gave me a hundred bucks for Christmas and I broke down. I remember I just hugged mum. I broke down. I was like, mum, like, this is so much money. You know, and I was, I'm like, and, and I remember I still got that hundred bucks to be, I still got that. It's sitting, it's in like a, I've got to frame that hundred bucks because wow. um, that represents where everything, you know, when, when my true journey began, began. Yeah. That's beautiful. I love that story. And I love watershed moments as well. So that that's definitely a watershed moment for you. Yeah. Mate. Um, well, before we get into this next chapter, it's pretty cool. I want to, I want to um, tell us the not from a fame or or, or um, a celebrity point of view, but tell us your musical highlight because that was the I guess the start of the new chapter from that yeah. moment. Is your musical highlight from an individual or, or band or team basis, and then yeah. um, like the Kundalini experience and all that kind of stuff. But first, go, go with your musical. Your musical highlight, mate, because um, you, you you did brush over it. We only spoke for twenty odd minutes, but yeah. it, was, it was it was a massive. Ma- I know you're still into it, but it was a massive part of your life. Massive and, part of my life, yeah. And, and you did things that I, people could only dream of, and yeah. and you touched well, look, on it very very. There's definitely um, there's definitely two big moments that sort of sit with me and and very easy to <clears throat> to put my back into put my put myself back into that moment. One was. The first time we played at a stadium, which was Nick, uh, uh, supporting Nickelback, and the way we started the our set was um, that I was we had this song called "Save Me," and it basically started with this bass riff, 
It was like, that was, there was this really cool bass riff that started the whole song. And then so we started our set with that. And the way we decided to start the set was just me going out onto the stage. And I just had this white light on me and I just started playing the riff. And I remember I walked out on my own and I just looked out onto Rod Labor Arena, packed house, this one like light on me and I'm just playing and I was just looking out going, what the fuck? This is, <laughs> you know, that just, is awesome. it was just this, the most surreal feeling. And it, that was, that was one of the coolest shows I reckon that, that, um, cause it was that first time you got to experience something so special. And then, um, and then another, another moment was, uh, we played at, um, Oh, what's that place in York? It's like a really famous place in York. It's uh, Madison Square Garden. No, it was. It's another one in York. The oh man, it doesn't matter. I can't remember the name of it. But anyway, um, Michael J. Fox came to our uh, came to our show, and uh, and because he Michael J. Fox's little son was um, was a big fan of our band. That's awesome. So yes, yeah, so he came to our show, and Michael J. Fox came up and. Uh, after our show, he came up to our, our dressing room with his kid and um, he already had Parkinson's by then. And Michael J. Fox was just like, but when you're on stage and you're looking out and you see Michael J. Fox in the crowd, you're just like, what the fuck? Like, really? And he's singing our songs and whatever. We're just like, wow, this is like unbelievable, you know? And then, um, and, uh, and he came up to our dressing room afterwards with his kid and uh, he was already shaking and, you know, having a, the, the symptoms quite bad and he loves blues and he, and Dale, our guitarist um, gave Michael J Fox a guitar and he started playing the guitar. As soon as he played the guitar, everything, no shaking, nothing beautifully played it. We had a jam with him and it was just epic. We spent like, you know, an hour with him up there and it was just super surreal, you know, and uh and so, yeah, moments like that. And I mean, look, other than that, there was so many moments of just pinching yourself, you know, like you're not just with the people that you're hanging out with, but also just the fun, the absolute fun of being with your best mates, touring around, experiencing different, the groupies, man, the groupies that we had, you know, like we'd have girls that would follow us from, from you know, city to city from town to town from state to state and we were just like what are these girls doing like why would they be following us and then it just the uh, you know just giving out autographs and people knowing your name and being stopped in hollywood going are you tommy from duke cartel i'm like uh yeah how the fuck do you know that and like can we get your autograph i'm like what real what the fuck no yeah okay cool so just surreal moments like that where you're just like wow man like unbelievable and that's huge as well because a lot of that was just before the social network boom as well wasn't exactly it? like it was it was it was around obviously but it wasn't nowhere near as prevalent as it was last no. five years so no, if, only, if I, only i knew what i know now back then yeah wow yeah, yeah, you had to be genuinely famous to be to be stopped in the street. Like you, yeah. and you were, you were, and I call it authentic famous, not bloody uh, Instagram famous. You were genuinely, authentically famous 
and obviously very talented and it succeeded at the highest level. But obviously, as you spoke to before, it has its perils as well and its pitfalls. But I love those stories, mate. Look, all those were brilliant and for different reasons. The Michael J. Fox one, fucking goosebumps. The, <laughs> the base on Rod Labor, I just want to YouTube it and find it somewhere, please. Um, it's I, not. Well, I've just, tried. I just, but I, I did do a little bit of research because obviously I'm, I'm no Molly Meldrum with the music, so I am. Um, yeah. I did have to, and geez, I love some of your stuff. So I implore people to go back to Duke Cartel and have a look at Tommy Kendi. Um, yeah. I reckon that's a nice little full stop on that. Until we move on, just quickly, did you? You obviously bass. You love the guitar as well. Yeah. You, your backup vocals and that. Did you? You you didn't write any lyrics or how did you do because you're a real deep spiritual dude yeah i reckon you'd be really good i reckon you'd be a really good um poet poet and source oh source. yeah i mean look there was there was definitely songs where um we would write you know give toby who was the the singer would give him ideas and there was definitely a few songs where me and him wrote lyrics together awesome. um but yeah in terms of Lyrics. It was like it's hard to write lyrics for a singer because it's, it's it's coming out of their voice, you know. So there was there was definitely stuff where we'd add stuff stuff in and workshop um, different words. But yeah, I mean, in terms of lyrics, we, me and the guitarist and the, the you know the rest of the band, our our whole thing was basically putting color to what he wanted to express out of him, you know. Um, and and so yeah, but but it's one of those things where. He, we wouldn't have been able to come up with those tunes unless each one of us was was part of that process. Yeah, I reckon. Um, I reckon that's a thing with with any team. It's just you know, everyone complements each other. Everyone has a role mm-hmm. to play. Um, without one, there's not the other. Just like baking a cake, we we say in in different physiology programs and that you can't you can't miss one ingredient because it'll uh, it'll stuff it up. And that's very much the same as a good rock band especially one of your caliber brother um any any writing at the moment or just balls deep yeah mate music now is a is a really cool hobby like i still get together with a few mates and have a jam and do a couple of gigs here and there but it's um yeah music for me is just a a really epic hobby that i I absolutely adore yeah and it's never going to leave you no doubt mate take us take us through the kundalini phase and was this your first was this your first uh, i guess Toe in the water to the um to yoga and, and the like. Yeah, so when uh when I was in LA, a, a mate of mine asked me to go to a, a yoga class, and I was I was still sitting there going, nah, you know, yoga's not really my thing. I've got not much interest in it. And he's like, mate, come on, come on. I just kept saying no to him, and he uh, he turned around and said, mate, you should see the chicks that are in this yoga class. Like, you got to come. I'm like you know what, worst case scenario, I'll get to stare at some hot chicks. And so ended up ended up going to this yoga class and, mate, this guy blew my mind. He's a no, guy called Guru Singh and he's he's, a, he's literally one of those guru dudes with big beard and the turban and all that type of stuff. He's a, a kundalini yoga guru. He's like a proper yogi. Um, and he's been that his whole life. And, and through that class, like, you know, I had goosebumps on me the size of, you know, they were literally popping up these little goosebumps all over me just because not even from the yoga, but just his his wisdom and, and what he talked about was just so incredible. And it really made a huge impact in my life. And and then we actually did the yoga part um, in the class. And even that, just understanding and feeling my body and my breath and how it was heating up and cooling down and breathing and this and that, I was just like, what the hell was that? And then 
So I ended up going back to his class again, and he had like um, probably 100 to 150 in his class every single um, time he did a class, which is like two or three times a week. And so I started religiously going to his classes. And then in one of the classes, he said to me, he comes over, he's like, I've been seeing you. What's your name? I said, I'm, I'm Tommy. He's like, I'm like, hi, Guru Singh, you know. And he, he said, what do you do? I said, oh, I'm a musician. He's like, all right, next week, bring your bass. I'm like, huh? He's like, next week, bring your bass. I'm like, okay. And then so we did this exchange where me and him would do these Kundalini yoga chants. And I'd, I'd go up and take my bass up and, and we'd, we'd jam me and him together in front of these massive classes and he would give me the classes for free. And so I, I, that was basically the last two years of, of my time in LA where um, every class I just go to his class, learn about yoga, about Kundalini. Um, and Kundalini yoga is a very powerful type of yoga. Like it's no, it's not for the faint hearted. It's sort of, it's quite intense. And that was my first introduction to this whole world where you work with the breath a lot and, and it's, it's quite intense, the movements. And, and it's designed, Kundalini Yoga is designed to basically push through your threshold. They do weird shit, like hold their arms in the air for, you know, 11 minutes while doing this psycho breathing stuff or 22 minutes. And you, you get to this point where you literally can't hold your arms up anymore, but you're like, you're breathing and you're like, no, nah, we're good. And you get through these points in life, well, not in life, but in these classes where you, you, you overstep the boundary of what you ever thought was possible. And so that's what Kundalini yoga does with the breath and these movements. And they call it Kriyas which is basically the different movements. So anyway, he, um, he challenged me to do 40 days straight of Kundalini yoga, of basically waking up at 4.30, uh, doing a cold shower, and then doing an hour of yoga, an hour of, uh, an hour of like breathing and chanting different mantras, and then half hour of meditation. So basically two and a half hours from 4.30, till about 6.30 or 7 o'clock. And so he challenged me to do 40 days and I ended up doing 181 days and I did not miss a, 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 a day for 181 days. And that was when that really changed my life. Like I really, I basically turned myself inside out through that time. And, and that's where really the journey began for me. And I was probably 32, 33 at that time. And so, so yeah, that's that's where it all started for me in terms of, of, and I didn't even do any training or nothing like that. I was just learning from him over that uh, that time. It's a fair teacher, though, mate. And um, we talk about habit building and, and changing habits and building habits. Um, look, every every day of our lives in this kind of show, and and talk about 180 days straight of something that intense and that powerful and that special to literally form hardwired habits for the rest of your life, Tommy. Like, yeah. That is absolutely brilliant stuff. Tell yeah. us about, so this is still in the States, clearly. Yeah, um, still in the States. And then, so I got home uh, and then, uh, you know, Guru Singh was funny because he was like, you can't leave because we're playing together. We, we even had a band together. You know, we, we started doing some recordings together and all that type of stuff. And he's like, man, and he, he went to the lengths because one of his best mates was Seal. 
and uh, and he actually not not a bad name drop, not a bad name drop. <laughs> I know, and he actually rang Seal and said, "Seal, I've got this amazing bass player here. He's about to go back to Australia. I need to keep him here." Can you please like get rid of your bass player and put Tommy on as your bass player? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> still went, mate. I'd love to, but I've already got someone, and I've just put him on. And you know, so I've, I can't, you know, I can't just kick him out now. It's like, so you know, Goosey was like, mate, you've got to stay. I'm like, nah, I, dude, I've, I've just got no money. I can't. Well, I'm not gonna. What can I do? I can't do anything. Um. And so anyway, I came home and, and I, I always came home thinking that I was, was going to go back to LA because LA just became my home. I, I, you know, LA is a type of place where after a year or two there, you really find your groove there and it's a hard place to leave because it's such an epic lifestyle. Um, you know, the sun, the surf, all that type of stuff. So, but anyway, I came home and then when I got home, like, I mean, as I said before, like I was, you know, basically... I had nothing, you know, no assets, no money, nothing, basically nothing. I, I, that's it, you know. And then, um, and I actually had a a fiance back then who was also Australian, and she she lived the last couple of years with me in LA. Um, but she, we basically came home, and she, um, we broke up because it just got too messy. Um, I guess the 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 financial struggles of LA really put a damper on our, on our relationship and it was hard to come back from. So we broke up and I, and so I basically had nothing like no, no girlfriend, no fiance, no, nothing, you know, no money, didn't know what I was going to do. So anyway, i actually got back into corporate for a couple of years and, uh, and even through corporate, like I went into sales and I've always had a gift of the gab. So basically from, from ground up within a year and a half, I was no, not even a year within six months, I was a sales director at this uh, digital agency and earning, you know, great dollars. I was earning like almost 200 grand a year and I was back in flying, you know, money was great again and rocking and, and whatever. And then I just, there was just something in me that went, this is not me. I'm just not fucking feeling it. It's just not me. And so lucky enough that company went into administration and then from there, that's where I went and actually did my yoga teacher training. And I went, this is my time. I had money in the bank. Um, I felt good. I felt safe. And then, yeah, went and did my yoga teacher training. And then that was a five-week uh, teacher training. And from there, it was basically came home uh, after my teacher training. And, and I was super knowledgeable because I already had the, the life experience of fucking up so many times. I've had the experience of, a number of times getting through anxiety and depression and all that type of stuff. I had the, um, the, the physical know-how and I, I had the physical practice of yoga and I was, I, I felt like I was a very powerful person. I was ready to, to start help people change lives, you know, and that's, that's ultimately what my calling was. And, and, and it's almost like I'm, I've always been really good at just listen to the, listening to the calling and really trusting my own own gut and and trusting my own intuition and then um and then so basically from there man i i, I went into uh oh no after i got back from yoga teacher training i just once again i went into this hub of not knowing what to do do i go back into corporate do i go back to la and try music again 
do I teach yoga? What do I do? So basically for six months after my yoga teacher training, all I did was sit at home, smoke cigarettes and, uh, and practice yoga and drink coffee. And, and that's it. Six months. It's all I did, you know? And, uh, and, and I had just a really, basically a hibernation time for six months. And then I came out of it and, uh, and, and I started teaching yoga at studios and then, um, you know, I started doing a number of different courses and a number of different, uh, I, I, I was able to connect myself with a number of really epic mentors that, that are very, very good at understanding human behavior and, and psychology and understanding the ego. And I just, just like I did with music, I, I dived into learning about human behavior about my own behaviors. I picked myself apart. I kept yoga going on the physical side and the mental side, but I, I really took a, a deep interest in, in how us humans actually behave. And, and I almost became obsessed with human behavior. And, and that's, that's where the, the penny really dropped for me of, of how powerful we really are as human beings. It brings us to where we are because it's it's powerful stuff. Um, a lot of the work you do one on one is 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 really heavily involved in this kind of stuff. Is that correct? Yeah, big time, man, big yeah. time. And it is. It's a, a big chunk of my work is also not just teaching it, but even in my own life is really trusting your own gut, trusting your own intuition, and really learning because there's an actual uh, structure and there's an actual way. Of, of being able to tune in to your own intuitive guidance and it's as real as it can get and never it never lies to you so it's like all of us are connected into this whole other um wisdom that none of that most of us are too scared to use and and so this wisdom which is intuition or whatever else you want to call it um it, it's 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 such a powerful wisdom because it's always right. It always gives us what we need. But the problem is, is that a lot of us are too scared to listen to it because when, when you listen to your intuitive guidance, then usually you're being taken down a road that's really uncertain and, and not many things are going to make sense. So you almost have to, to become really comfortable with making shit up on the spot. And that's what it feels like that. Yeah when you're following your gut feeling, your intuition, it feels like you're making it up as you go. And, and, um, and so that's why it's a really scary for a lot of people. That's yeah, that's super. And that would not be easy to, I guess, extract that out of people as well. So that'd, that'd be a lot of the work you, you're doing one-on-one with, with big corporate teams as well. Yeah. Um, pretty, pretty cool. You do a lot of your work over zoom. Uh, the platform we're using today, um, yeah. which is great. So that's the great thing about what you're doing now is you can really help anyone all over the world. Absolutely, man. I mean, I've got clients all over the world and, and most of my clients, the clients are in Australia and, 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 you know, even with the corporates, uh, but most of the corporates, probably 70% of the corporates I, I do in-house when the staff are in the office, but with the corporates, mainly I'm working with, you know, CEOs and, and CFOs and, and more, more so the C-suite type guys because, um, you know, it, it's a lot of corporations, uh, you know, they're, they're vulnerable if the, if the top end is, is all over the shop, you know, and, and so 
my job really is, is in a really earthy and really grounded way uh, to teach the C-suite type um, uh, execs on how to start making decisions by trusting their their own gut feel and their own intuition, you know, and it's uh, really some of the powerful. things I've seen, yeah, unfold in, in, you know, even ASX listed companies that I've worked with before. Some of the things I've seen unfold when, when, when the founders or the CEOs get this work, fuck man, unbelievable. It's yeah. just special. Yeah, that's that's really cool. I think anyone listening to that, that's this kind of stuff is the gold. And uh, we love hearing about the slash and the seals and the Hollywood party. And but this kind of stuff is what we want to continue to preach and just continue to take these nuggets of wisdom out. Um, yeah. Your daily practice, mate. Like I love what actually not long before we got on this call, mm. um, I actually. Obviously, you've got a great podcast called The BS, The Bullshit Podcast. Is that correct, The BS? Yeah, The, the BS Machine. The BS Machine. Yeah, so yeah. We'll get that wherever you get your iTunes. Um, BS Machine is, is Tommy's podcast. But we'll put all these, all the links to Tommy and Yogs and everything we'll put in the show, show notes, of course. But um, you can look up Tommy Kendi as, as well, K-E-N-D-E. But you put a great thing on maybe on your Insta, I think, uh, mate. Um, this was phenomenal. And I love it because we talk about this all the time in running and movement and training and just general get people movement. Is we never ever, 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 ever wait till we're motivated, ever wait till we're feeling like doing it because you'll never bloody do it. Or if you're gonna do stuff when everything's going great, that's that's great as well. But that's yeah. not that's not that's not real life, and that's only gonna be 30% of the time. Uh, you said something like if you wait till you meditate or or no, sorry, don't if you don't feel like meditating or don't feel like doing yoga, which you can't be fucked half the time, you get on your mat. So can you take the listeners through that? Because this is bloody magnificent yeah well basically i've, I've got because i mean look even though i teach this work and even though you know i harp on about it constantly i struggle with the same shit everyone else struggles with you know and so uh, i mean look for me the the three key things that that really keep me sane is uh meditation yoga and uh and and some form of cold water therapy whether it's cold showers or jumping in the ocean or whatever the whatever it's going to be you know but it's like when with yoga like most of the time 70 percent of the time i don't i don't feel like going and doing yoga because probably the same thing with you guys like with running or, or any type of fitness like most of the time you, you can't be fucked right so what i do is i just go okay you know what even though i can't be bothered i'm just going to roll out my mat and I'll jump on the yoga mat and get on the yoga mat, get in a downward dog and just see what happens next. And then it's just, it's once you're on there, it's, that's the hardest part. Then you're like, oh, wow, this is actually pretty cool. Like I'm feeling, you know, you start moving and you start, and before you know it, you've done a whole yoga practice and you're feeling amazing. Same thing with meditation. If you don't know how to meditate or you don't, um, or you can't be bothered meditating, that's fine then know that you can't be bothered. That's cool. And just go, you know what? All I'll do is I'll just sit down, find a song or a, a, put the song on or put the, the guided meditation on. I'll just sit down and just get in there and, and see what happens. And then before you know it, you've done a 10 or 15 minute meditation and you're done. Your clarity, you've got clarity and whatever. Same thing with the ocean. If I jump in the ocean most days, rain, hail or shine, I can't be bothered getting in the cold water. I can't be fucked getting in the cold shower. But what do I do? I'll go, you know what? I'll just drive down to the beach. It's two minutes from my house. I'll get down to the beach, take my towel, take my boardies, walk down to the ocean and see what happens. As soon as I'm there, I'm like, you know what? If I'm here, I may as well just jump in. 
get out feel epic you know so it's just these little hacks that you've got to um you've got to sort of almost trick yourself into but i mean the biggest thing dude is is with all this stuff that that we all have this part to us called the ego and basically the ego what it's it's what it's designed to do is it's designed to keep us safe right and when when you do anything in your life that is that uh that is has anything to do with growth or expanding your boundaries whether it's physical mental or whatever your ego is going to freak the fuck out right so so the ego is freaking out because it's uncharted territory so for, for you to grow that's not safe for your ego because that means that the ego is going to be out of control and something else is going to take hold, you know? So the, the, this is where most of my work is, is targeted towards is the, the, is learning how to, how to acknowledge your ego and, and become aware of it and go, do you know what? I, I get it. You just want me to stay safe. I get it. Ego. It's all good. I've got your back. But just for now, I'm just going to acknowledge you, acknowledge all your voices and whatever, and just have that there. And you can come with me, but come with me. I'm going to go jump in the fucking ocean or I'm going to, I'm going to get into this new project that I want to do, even though I'm shit scared or I'm going to jump on the, go for a run or put the runners app on or whatever it's going to be. You know, like I'm, I, it, you've, we have to understand. And once we understand that the ego is literally there to fuck you up, when it comes to growth, then you've taken the first step to uh, to having a really, really cool life. Yeah, really well put. Um, the ego and other terms that we've used before, being the central governor, like our body's, our body's designed to keep us safe, all the usual stuff. Ego's, ego is just really powerful. Um, and we, we, the power of neuroplasticity, which you've done so much in, we've just been able to to, to rewire and refire your brain and the way it works. And, and you're, you're honest about it. And we all are like, fuck, we, we've all got our stuff. And no, yeah. no one wants to be, um, everyone wants to feel amazing all the time, but it's just not real life. Um, so yeah, you get in and yeah, like you said, those three, those three habits, which are as good as you could ever do in your life. Um, mm -hmm. Yoga, uh, meditation and, and cold water immersion. They're three of the great things in life, whether it is running or walking. Um, we always say, just put the session, just put the runner session in for five minutes, just five minutes. You put the runner session in your ears for five minutes, you'll end up doing 20, 25. Okay. And then, and then by the, you, you might do the full 40, 45. And it's like, fuck, how good was that? Yeah. Um, and, and the rest of your trajectory of your day is a billion times better. In fact, your week's better. And then yeah. everything just parlays and rolls in. And, and then you've done it for six months, eight months, like you, you've done it for 10 years now. And the rest just flows. Um, yeah. It's, it's really, really powerful. And that's why as soon I know we're aligned, but everything that you just said the last five to 10 minutes is everything that I believe in. And I'm really, really happy you went down that path. Are you, yeah, in, a, are you in a the routine at the moment? Um, look, give it, give us an idea of your every day, like yet today, for example. Yeah. So, I mean, my, I've got a pretty good routine at the moment where um, I've got this new thing. I'm, I'm not a big, big advocate for like to-do lists and stuff like that because I've always done this thing where I just, I go, oh, I'll do that now. So just sort of fly by the seat of my pants. You know, I've always been that type of guy, but that's got me to a certain point where I've been able to, take certain risks in life where that, that have really, really allowed me to win in so many different situations because I have been ballsy enough to take big risks. 
Um, but but the last sort of month, I've I've gone. You know what? I'm I'm actually going to start doing my to do list. So and and I don't I don't call it a to do list. I, I for me, I call it a uh, I call it basically. I've got yeah. I just call it the the growth the growth spurt is what I call it. Um, so I do a growth spurt every single morning, which is basically just listing down, you know, five or 10 things that, that I've been shoving under the carpet um, and, and that I want to do today, you know, so. That's uh, awesome. And then so, but basically in a nutshell, it is a to-do list and I, and I just tick them off as I go. And then um, the other thing is 100%, you know, meditation, man, for, it is, it's, it's just one of those things, even if you do five minutes of it, there's so many different variations of meditation, but it's just being able to sit. It, it's either meditation or breathing or, you know, even if it's, you know, a lot of people have heard of Wim Hof who, you know, is, is a, it's just so simple. It's like you can YouTube it and do in 15 minutes, do a whole uh, Wim Hof session, you know, with breathing and, and it just oxygenates the whole body, the whole blood. And then, um, and then also, you know, doing some form of exercise, whether it's walking, yoga, um, you know, going for a run, whatever it might be, you know, and and so they're the three key things. And then also one other thing that I have every day is to put myself out of my comfort zone at least once a day. And uh, and everyone's different with stuff like that. For me, it's usually either having an awkward conversation that's been you know, either with my my girlfriend or with with a loved one or or maybe even a client of mine having an awkward conversation where it's like, you know, those feelings where you know there's something sort of bubbling away at the surface and just sort of shoving it under the carpet. I know with me that really that fucks with my life and it messes relationships up and whatever. So I've taken a really um a, a really conscious effort lately to have those awkward conversations and the funny thing is man every single time I've, I've been able to have those awkward conversations it's always ended up in such a a different thing than what I've been fearing you know uh where where I mean I can I can give you a you know it, it's a it's a pretty drastic example but I can I can give you one of the examples I've got um you know I've been seeing this girl for uh, I've got a girlfriend. Basically, we've been seeing each other for a couple of months, two or three months, and and early on in our relationship, even before we, you know, had any intimate relations. So before we even, you know, did whatever. Basically, back from when I was, you know, twenty years old, I got herpes when I was like really young. Right, I was like twenty or twenty-one. It was literally just when I was you know, first get, and I, I was unlucky enough to get it back then. And, uh, and, and it's been this awkward thing ever since then where you, you've got to have the conversation, you know, when, when I first uh, started dating this girl two months ago, I've done it in the past of like, I've not said anything until later until, and, and it's always been like, it's just so fucking rude and it's just not okay to do that. And, and with this girl before, even before we had sex, I was like, fuck, I know I've got to have this conversation and, and I found this new way of, of having the conversation where I just sat her down. I'm like, babe, you know what? I've got to have an awkward conversation with you. And she's like, yeah, what's up? And I've just gone, I've got fucking herbs. 
and she just started laughing her head off. And I'm like, <laughs> I was like, oh, oh man. And she's going, You got what? I go, I've got the herb space. She's like, You got herpes? I'm like, Yeah. And she's like, That is hilarious. And then, and but I, I gave her the power, you know, yeah. to, to make a decision. And it was so perfect because one, she first off, she laughed and then she said, Look, I've just got to be. Um, honest, you know, let me let me sit with this for a day or two because I'm just going to process it. You know, I've got to, I want to do my research. And I'm like, yeah, babe, absolutely. But I gave her the power to say, I don't want to go through with this or I do want to go through with yeah. this you know, or, or find different ways around it. And basically what happened from that, she said, babe, do you know what? Like we had a conversation about this the other day. She said, if when you had that conversation with me, I looked at this man, as in me, and said to myself, this guy is always going to have my back. Yeah. And she said, I, that was the moment I really fell for you. And I was like, wow, really? She's like, yeah, that was the moment where I trusted you. In, in, I had this incredible trust for you straight away because I knew that you had my back. So it's like having the courage to, to step into those conversations and, 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 you know, that's just a, that's a, a pretty drastic example. But for, for, for me, you know, there's those little awkward conversations, like even if it's an argument with your partner or whatever it might be. So I've been really, um, really intent on, on having those dirty conversations and, and they've always come back with, you know, the end result has always been a really epic end result that, that didn't involve any of the fears that I originally had around it. And then the other thing is always take, some sort of risk every day, like some sort of risk where um, we're all different. But for me, you know, at the moment, I'm building building um, something really special that's going to help a lot of people around the world. And, and it's scary because, you know, I don't have unlimited funds. I don't have, um, I don't know if it's going to work, but it's fucking scary because it, it's like I'm bringing something really new out to the world but but it's not new i'm still giving the same um going to be offering the same type of wisdom and whatever but i'm doing it in my way which i know is going to really resonate to a lot of people and it scares the shit out of me so every day i've got to do something that scares the, the shit out of me you know and and so i've been doing that and i've just been winning big time yeah, mate jesus christ that is genuine gold like <laughs> I, i'll give you the tip the um the have the awkward conversations a really good tip. Like it's not, it's not common that we that we might hear that on on our show or, or our coaching. I reckon it's bloody awesome for life development. Um, it doesn't always have to be as full on and as life changing as the one you you guys had a couple of months back. But yeah. it, it it has to be something. I reckon it clears out. It does clear the decks and it does help you to um to really move forward as opposed to just having that niggling subconscious feeling of, of something that's going to probably happen eventually or something's brewing and yeah, take risks and get uncomfortable every day, which we're big on massively big on. It doesn't have to be um, going down having a, having 10 grand on the next horse at Flemington, but real <laughs> genuine risks, like genuine stuff that he's going to, you know, he's going to make you better. Um, and it's going to, it's going to help you develop uh, long-term. Tommy's just, I told you, I told you guys, he's full of wisdom. It's the reason we've got him on our, it's the reason we've got him on our on our runners red zone videos. The reason we've got him on our corporate stuff because he is a genuine guru and he just does things so authentically with authenticity number one, but real genuine care, passion, and knowledge number two. Um, all right. So 
Life's great. You're flying along. The, what's the future hold for Tommy? Um, listeners, me and Tommy will catch up every six to eight weeks on Insta and stuff anyway, just for five, 10 minute little small nuggets. But what's the future hold, great man? It's, uh, so I'm doing a bit of a rebrand at the moment where um, I'm basically going to call myself the greatness guru. <laughs> so um, I, I, it's a bit of a piss take, but that's what I do, man. I, I don't take life too serious. But so I'm going through a little bit of a rebrand where I'm just changing the way that I'm going to put myself out there, you know, in terms of my branding. Um, and, you know, through that, there's going to be a number of little trees that come under it. But I mean, moving forward, man, my my real goal um, and vision for myself and for life is to really ignite um, courage and, and inspiration in the world. And, uh, and I think, you know, a lot of us need it at the moment. And, and I find that the best way um, for me to step into that is by, as you said before, is, is just by being totally authentic. Like I'm not, I'm not a guy that's got every, everything worked out. I fuck up every single day. And, uh, and for me, it's, it's all about, um, you know, what I teach, I have to do myself and otherwise I'm just a, a, a fake and a fraud. So, um, so, you know, moving forward, it's really important for me to, to, to really be authentic with what I'm putting out there. But, but in all honesty, what I'm, what I'm really doing is, three different layers. I'm, I'm igniting inspiration and courage in corporates. I'm igniting insp- uh, courage and inspiration through things like yoga, through my business called Yogs, which is also, um, you know, going out there for, to corporates, but also doing one-on-one sessions with, with, with clients if they, if they need it and can afford it. <laughs> and uh and and so and then other than that man it's it's just a, as a blanket rule everything i'm doing moving forward is uh is is really a, a an epic um an epic vehicle using myself as an epic vehicle to to really help the world become a better place brilliantly put brilliantly yeah. put and brilliantly articulated um of course you got all the avenues we're going to put in the show notes for tommy uh, if you want to catch him on normal stuff, you got the the BS Machine yes, podcast on the machine. iTunes, of course. Uh, he's got lots and lots and lots of diverse, great guests on there, as you can imagine. And uh, you can imagine it's it's chock full of entertainment as well, but also not knowledge bombs. Like the last sixty five minutes have been absolute knowledge bombs. Um, so Tommy is a friend of runners, so he will be a regular on the socials and that kind of stuff. So it won't be the last you hear of him. But any last advice or tips for the listeners to? take us out there next 30 seconds of their day, just really get them kicked off, just really kick off the next week for them. Yeah. I mean, look, the only wisdom I can really, I'm not the only, but, but, you know, a, a great wisdom that, that I really uh, stick to myself on a daily basis is always trust that inner, inner gut feel or always trust that, that intuition within. And, and if you spend at least five or 10 minutes a day either writing down what's obvious in your life. Like if you ask a question of whether it's finances, whether it's relationships, whether it's yourself, and the next question you ask is what's obvious, you're always going to get the, the, the right answer. And it's, it's not, you know, and it's, it's just so important for all of us and every one of you listening to really listen to that inner, inner dialogue that you know is true the more you shoved it under the carpet and the more 
you deny and ignore that, the harder it's going to be for you to, to really step up and have an epic life. That's a great way to finish. It's been a fairly intense theme, I reckon, and that that is of going through this whole this whole show. And that one is a great way to finish. Just listen, listen to what's inside you, and you really tune in. I think, but uh, I know it's easier said than done. Which people like Tommy help you do it, and and just really be in, in tune with your own self. And that's why meditation, yoga, breathing, all this kind of stuff brings us back to that kind of basic um, stuff. Would you agree, mate? Yeah, hundred percent, bro. Well said. Um, I'm stoked to have you on here for the last 60 or 70 minutes. It won't be the last time we catch you, but um, I reckon there's lots of nuggets in this one. So my listeners, I implore you to listen probably back once, twice, maybe three times to this whole show. Um, not just the part about Slash or Seal or the whole Hollywood rock style, sex, drugs, rock and roll. The actual, <laughs> the last 35 minutes or 40 minutes is what's going to change your life. Um, the first 30 might entertain you, but the last 30 or 40 is what's going to change your life. So I thank Tommy Kendi. He is one of the greats. Uh, he's a good Melbourne boy, which we love as well. Uh, you can catch him on all the show note links that we've put on there. Until next time, brother, take care and move with gratitude. Cheers, Rick. Thanks, brother. 